You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. It's real good. It's a little long. It's not preachy. It's kind of teachy. Is that okay with you guys? Like, But I need to get into it because it's kind of long, and I, want, I don't want to take up too much time tonight. Is that okay with you all? We're kicking off a brand new series tonight for two weeks. It's called Graves to Gardens. Graves to Gardens. Ooh, it's going to be so good. We're talking all about the life and the death, or I should say the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And really the the whole heart behind this series is uh, we want to slow down right now in this season and focus on what our church is getting ready to celebrate this weekend, which is what? Easter, Easter, that's right. Now, one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why I'm personally super pumped about this series is because I grew up in church like a lot of you guys. I, yeah, I did. I grew up in church like a lot of you guys. And, and, and because I grew up in church like a lot of you guys, I know that there's probably a good chance that um, most of us in this room have probably experienced a handful of Easter Sundays before, right? You've probably gone to an Easter Sunday before. And sometimes if we're not careful, Easter can just become that thing that we do as Christians. Like it's just what we do. It's that Easter Sunday service that we've done our whole lives. It's kind of like, like holding the door open for somebody at the grocery store. It's just, you do it. It's a good thing to do. You say thank you when somebody gives you something. You drive on the right side of the road, right? It's just what you do. But, um, but our hope Our hope and our prayer in this series is that we would slow down during this Easter season. Um, Slow down so that we can find the the meaning and the purpose and and the power behind what Easter actually means. I believe that when we slow down in this season, we're going to see it in a way that hopefully is different than you've ever seen it before or deeper than you've ever seen it before. And so uh, that's what I'm praying for for this week. So throughout the next two weeks... We're going to be talking about what it means, the meaning behind the season. Um, and so if you're uh, taking notes tonight, is anybody taking notes tonight? Got some note takers? Okay. Note takers are history makers. Well, it's going to be good, so hang on with me. I need you to look to your neighbor and say graves. Okay, look to your, look to your other neighbor, the one you just ignored rudely, and say to gardens. Graves to gardens. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Uh, If you got a Bible with you, we're going to be starting off tonight in Luke chapter 22, Luke 22, Um, and tonight we're going to be looking specifically at Jesus' death, and and we're going to be getting real tonight, y'all. Can y'all hang with me? We're going to be getting real. We're going to be talking about Jesus' death because it's a big deal. In fact, it's kind of the focal point of what being a Christian is, Jesus' death is kind of important, and it's kind of important that we understand what that means, knowing about Jesus' death. But, but specifically, tonight we're going to be talking about this thing we do as Christians. You've probably done it in church before called communion. You all know what I'm talking about? You got the little wafer that looks like cardboard and the little mystery juice pouch. Well, I want to talk to you guys about communion tonight because communion, like Easter, if we're not careful, can turn into something that we just do instead of something that we experience. 
and, and, and a posture of worship that can actually be really powerful for us. And we can come into church on a weekend where we're doing communion and we can, you know, do worship. And then that guy comes up and he talks about the upper room and Jesus. And then we take the, the cardboard wafer and we take the cup and then we just go on with our life and then we eat lunch and we go home, right? You know what I mean? Like if we don't know what the meaning and the purpose and the weight of communion is, we can, it can just turn into a thing like Easter, something that we just do and then we just go home. But what I want us to see tonight is that there, there is so much to communion. In fact, I believe that understanding the power of communion can open the door to communion. O- understanding the power of it can open the door to it. And so um, the, the truth is really communion is so much more than what most of us treat it as. And so what I want to do tonight is just dive into that. We're going to look at Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 14. Here's what it says. Y'all ready for this? Okay. It says, when the, yeah, there we go. It says, when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this, divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This is where we see communion for the first time in history. Check this out. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant, which represents my blood. It's poured out for you. So if you're taking notes tonight, The title of my message is Welcome to the Table. Welcome to the Table. Let's pray before we get into this word. Father God, I thank you so much for tonight. And I thank you so much for Easter, what Easter means, God, that we get to celebrate the fact that you are a God who is alive. You're active and you're powerful and you're moving and you're here tonight. The king is in the room and God, we're already experiencing your presence. And I pray that tonight through this word, God, as we remember what you've done for us, I pray that each person tonight, every single student would receive a fresh revelation of you a fresh revelation of what you did for them and that that would move us to you, move us closer in relationship to you. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Okay, I gotta know, is there any food nerds in the house? Any food nerds? Okay, What, what I mean by that is if you like any of the following, Food Network, Food Documentaries, Great British Baking Show. Yeah, I know. Trying new weird foods. <laughs> Cooking. If you're any of those people, raise your hand. Okay, we got some food nerds in the house. Okay. Okay. Do we have any picky eaters in the house? Be, be, d- yeah, that's a little confusing. I saw food nerds and picky people raise their hand at the same time. I don't know if that works together. Maybe it does. But if you are picky, we'll pray for you after service because, man, that's just a sad way to live. Okay. My wife Haley and I, my wife Haley and I are huge food nerds. We love food. We went, we went vegan for a year just for fun, just because we like food so much. Kind of weird. Um, that is how it works. You learn how to cook when you're vegan. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. But I love nerding out about food. I love, I love learning about like the history of food. I love learning about like how 
how did this meal end up on my plate? Like what kind of what kind of ingredients were used in this? Like what was the process that the chef went through to get this here? Is this a meal that like I'm never going to be able to afford because it's like so expensive? Or is this something I can make in my own house? I love stuff like this. This is like the stuff that gets me going. And uh, one of the things that I have learned personally over the past few years of just like learning how to cook and cooking for myself and nerding out about f- food is that, and some of you may know this, good food is pretty powerful. Like food is a pretty powerful thing, but good food is pretty, fa- pretty powerful. Like good food brings people together, right? A good meal, a good meal can actually like take you back to a moment in your life, like a memory. Like that's how powerful food is. It's super powerful. And like, if you think about it, most of the things that we celebrate, like birthdays, holidays, all those things, what are they revolving around? They revolve around good food and cake. Yes, somebody said cake. Um, But I was thinking about this. What makes food good? Like what makes food good? Because sometimes people are like, well, it's whatever you like. It's like an opinion, which... That is part of it. Like, you can like things that are good, and I can like things that are good. Maybe you think that banana and mayonnaise sandwiches are good. Um, Shout out to Caleb. He actually eats banana and mayonnaise sandwiches. That is not good. But check this out. Check this out. There is actually a version of good food. What I've learned is that usually, for the most part, food becomes good when there's preparation and sacrifice involved. Food becomes good when there's preparation and sacrifice involved. And if you think about like nice food or like really expensive food, the more sacrifice and the more preparation that takes place, the better the food's gonna be, right? Like when I think about this for me personally, most of the foods that I think are my favorite foods are foods that take a lot of time uh, and a lot of sacrifice. Like some of you know, when I first moved up here to Oklahoma City, I worked part-time at a bakery, and I worked here at New Song, and I also baked bread at my house. So I was just like slinging dough constantly. And um, at my house, I learned how to make this type of bread called sourdough bread. Um, and sourdough is not like that wonder bread. It's not like a little sandwich loaf that you can get for like a dollar at Walmart. This is like some, this is some fancy bread, y'all. And... Uh, I'm proud to say I learned how to make sourdough from my house. I've got a picture of what sourdough looks like. It's this beautiful, um, crusty bread. Look at how pretty that is, y'all. I made this. I made this loaf right here. Yeah, I did. So, sourdough. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into like the science of it because it's a headache. It's really nerdy. But basically, here's what you need to know: to make a loaf like this, if you wanted me to make you a loaf like this, you couldn't just be like, "Hey, Jackson, can I come over tonight and you make me one of these?" Like, no, 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 this, something like this, this, this loaf takes from start to finish, like from mixing the dough to taking it out of the oven and cooling it, it can take up to 36 hours. I'm not joking. Sourdough takes a long time. It takes a lot of preparation and it takes a lot of sacrifice. But when you, when you have that preparation and that sacrifice, you get a pretty stinking good loaf of bread. That's what makes good food good. Um, there's a food, I gotta talk to you about my documentary series. I know you guys make fun of me, but I love my documentary series. There's, there's a Netflix documentary um, called Ugly Delicious. 
It is my favorite food documentary of all time. It's incredible. And the host is this guy named David Chang. He's this cook. He's this entrepreneur. He's super famous. He's got a potty mouth. So just warning you, he cusses like a sailor in this show. Um, so there, I warmed you. But the show is incredible. And every single episode, and every single episode, they focus on a specific type of food. And he goes around traveling all over the world, trying this different versions and like talking to chefs. And it's really cool. Well, there's an episode in Ugly Delicious completely, de- uh, completely dedicated to dumplings. Who's ever had a dumpling before? Like an Asian dumpling. Well, in this, in this episode about dumplings, David, Ch- he, David Chang, he travels to this remote village in China, like poor, completely, um, completely detached from society, and he, see, he goes to this house of this old grandma who's been cooking dumplings for years and years and years. And he goes to see her cook her dumplings, and she's got no running water, no electricity, uh, there's no grocery store, and they're completely detached from, like, the rest of China. And so while David Chang is there at this grandma's house, he watches her prepare these dumplings from scratch. He watches her knead the dough. He watches her walk all the way down the street to the well to get her water for her whole family and for the dinner that they're about to cook. He watches her gather up vegetables and spices from their little quaint spice garden, like in their backyard. David Chang watches her build a fire in their house just to use the stove. Like this grandma just builds a fire right there. He watches her build a fire, and and then he watches her cook the dumplings in her house. And uh, after the dumplings are cooked, David Chang, he eats one of them, and he does, you know, the typical food channel thing where they're like, oh, this is so good. This is amazing. I wish there was smell-o-vision. I wish you could smell this. Have you ever heard somebody say that on TV? It's a food network thing. So he says, oh, I wish you could smell this, and he's like, oh, this is so good. And I remember when I saw this episode, I was thinking, I'm sure that dumpling was really good. Because that grandma's been cooking them for years and years and years, but it couldn't be, like, that good. Like, why was the dumpling that good? Like, literally, just 10 minutes prior in the episode, I saw David Chang eating a dumpling from a Michelin star restaurant in California. So it was, like, probably a $50 dumpling, and now he's eating a dumpling in China made by a grandma in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, this is amazing. Why do you think David Chang thought that dumpling was so amazing? I think it's because he thought it was so amazing because he saw and he had an understanding of the sacrifice and the process that it took just to get to that point where he was eating the dumpling. It took a lot of work. I think if I was to take that same dumpling and put it on a plate and give it to you and not tell you how it was made, you'd probably be like, yeah, it's a pretty good dumpling. But if you had an understanding of how it was made and the sacrifice that it took, you would be like, man, this is a good dumpling. Now, I say all of that, all of that food stuff to say this. I think when it comes to communion, I think we have a lack of understanding. Like we have a lack of understanding of the kind of meal that you and I are getting to participate in when we take communion. And we don't fully understand what's happening when we do this act of remembering what Jesus did for us. And if that's you tonight, check this out. That's okay, because guess what? The disciples in this story 
had no idea what kind of meal they were eating. They had no clue. They totally missed it. Jesus was instituting something brand new right in front of their eyes, and they missed it. And the disciples, we find them in this story in Luke 22. They're sitting down at the upper room with Jesus, and they're getting ready to take part in Passover. Who's ever heard of Passover before? Passover was a ritualistic meal that the disciples had probably been doing their entire life. And they've been doing it. Their ancestors have been doing it for centuries. Um, And so imagine, I like to imagine the disciples, they're sitting with Jesus at the upper room, getting ready to take what they think is a completely normal Passover meal. And they see Jesus start to lead the meal. And this is something that each disciple has probably done before. They've probably led a Passover meal. And so they know exactly what Jesus is about to say. They've got, it's like, it's like you and I walking into an Easter service on Sunday morning. We know what's coming. We're not going to be surprised by anything. They know what's coming. And Jesus begins the Passover meal by saying, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you guys. And I'm sure that the disciples were like, yeah, Passover's great. Like, I can't wait to eat this Passover meal. Jesus, you're right. Passover's awesome. When like, Really, on the inside, they were probably thinking, like, what's the big deal? It's just Passover. Like, we do this every year. I don't know why you're so eager about eating a Passover meal, Jesus. But what we see is the disciples, they missed it. They lacked understanding. They didn't, they didn't realize the kind of meal they were about to eat with Jesus. They didn't, they didn't realize that Jesus was about to completely reinvent Passover for them, and they were going to be the first persons in history to take communion. They didn't know. In fact, we know this because the second after they take communion with Jesus, the disciples start arguing about who's greater. Like, it's like they were like, oh yeah, Jesus, that's really cool. Like bread represents your body and wine represents your blood. That's great. But who's the greatest though? Because like, I feel like I'm pretty great. Like that's basically what they did. And for many of us, when we take communion, I think sometimes this is what we do. Like we come in and we take communion and and we take the bread and we take the cup and we're like, yes, Jesus, thank you for your body and your blood. But but that thing that's happening in my life right now, Jesus, could you work on that right now? Because like I really need some help on this. And we just totally brush past this meal, this amazing thing that we get to partake in that Jesus bought for us. We don't understand the cost. We don't understand the price that was paid for that, that was paid for us through Jesus. But But when we understand the cost, when you and I understand the meal that we're taking, then we can experience it the way we're called to experience it. So check this out. If we're ever going to experience communion the way we're called to experience it, we got to first understand what communion is all about. So check this out. Isaiah 53. I love this passage. This is a prophetic passage. So that means it was written like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever stepped foot on the earth and it's about him. It's pretty dope. This is what it says. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when the Jewish people would take communion, the, or when they would take Passover, the whole point of Passover was that they were trying to remember that at one point they used to be slaves, but God. But God decided to show up. And that was the whole point of Passover. And the whole point of the communion is the same thing. We remember that at one point, you and I were in an impossible situation. But God. You and I remember that at one point, 
you and I couldn't even know God, but now I get to know him. We remember that at one point in my life, maybe I used to hate myself, but God showed up and now I know I'm worthy. Maybe we remember at one point in my life, I used to think that life was meaningless and there was no purpose, but God showed up. And now I know that through him, I have purpose in life. This is what we do in communion. But maybe for you, uh, you've always wondered, like, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? I know, have you ever thought that thought before? I've thought that thought before. Like, why did Jesus have to die? Like, why couldn't God, you know, we have this problem of sin. Why couldn't God do the whole Thanos snap? (laughs) And like, sin could just disappear and he could just forget it. Like, why couldn't he just, and sin could just go away? Why couldn't that happen? I love the way our pastor, Pastor Josh, explains this. He he explains this perfectly. He talks about how um, sin is always injustice against someone. Sin is always injustice against someone. And because of that, justice has to be paid. And so to kind of help explain this, I want you to picture with me Um, you've got somebody in your life that you love. Think about somebody like your family member or a friend or somebody you go to school with that you love. Think about that person. And I want you to imagine, now this is gonna get dark for a second. Just go there with me. For the sake of the analogy, you get a call that you just found out that this person that you love was robbed at gunpoint and murdered. You'd be pretty sad, right? So this friend of yours, this family member, has just been murdered, but check this out. Um, The authorities were able to get the criminal. They were able to find all of the evidence, the camera, the gun. They were able to find everything needed to prove without a shadow of a doubt, this person killed your friend. And so you find yourself one day at a court case and you're in court, there's a judge, there's the criminal, here's the jury and During the court hearing, everybody does their part. The evidence is super clear. This dude killed your friend without a shadow of a doubt. And they deserve to go to prison. They deserve to pay the penalty of that crime. Now, what if at the end of that court hearing, the judge came up and said, hey guys, I know that this person committed this crime, but I got to talk to him before we had this court case. And, like, he's a really nice guy. And, like, I know it looked really bad, but, like, he didn't mean to. And, and, also, and also, he's got a family. And so, like, if he goes to prison, like, his family's going to suffer. So, like, what if we just let it go? Like, what if we just decided to just kind of forget about this and just pretend it never happened? How many of you know, if you were that person, you would not be okay with that decision, Right? Not only that, but how many of you know that if that judge were to do that, they would not be a just judge. They would not be a good judge. Why? Because justice wasn't paid. Justice wasn't met. And here's the thing about sin. Sin is always injustice against somebody. It's injustice against another person. It's injustice against God. Check this out. Sin is even injustice against yourself. And the Bible tells us that there's a penalty for sin. There's something that we have to pay when we experience sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. 
that's what we are owed when we sin or when we experience sin or when we're born into sin. We are owed death. So a perfect judge has to know that this has to be dealt with, right? Justice has to be paid. And so if God were to just snap his fingers and pretend that sin never existed, he would be an unjust judge. But we know from the Bible, God's not an unjust judge. He's a perfect judge. He's a good judge. And so he has to deal with it. But we also know just as much as God is a good judge, he's also a perfect father. And here's the cool thing. Here's the good news. Even though that penalty was owed to you and I, he saw that we had to pay that, his children. And that was when he decided to insert himself into the story. Check this out. Isaiah 53 says this, talking about Jesus again. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. So God knew we had a problem. We had a price to pay. And he decided to do what? He decided to insert himself into the story. And he decided to come down as Jesus. And when we participate in communion, when you and I take communion, what we're doing is we're remembering that Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and I. And so tonight as we, as we close, there's actually two aspects about communion that I want to focus on, that I would really want to hone in on tonight. As I was going through this in my office, uh, I was just reminded of the power behind what this is, what we get to partake in. So the first thing is this, and Jay, you can put some music on if you're, if you're back there. The first thing, check this out about communion, is this. Communion is the most expensive meal you could ever take. Communion is the most expensive meal you could ever eat. It's the most expensive meal because it was paid with the highest price. And I think sometimes we get caught up in the physical part of communion. We get caught up in the cheap cardboard wafer and the cheap mystery juice that we don't know what it is, but we drink it and we're like, why is it spicy? Um, sorry, I had to do that. But check this out. We get caught up in the physical and we forget that this meal that we get to take is the most expensive meal we could ever eat in our entire life. Check this out. We know this because it's it's because Jesus paid the ultimate price and that was his life. He died for you and I. And I think for most of us, we know that. Like, yeah, Jesus died for me. But what I wanna do just really quickly is I want you to see not just that he died, but how he died. Because when we remember like what Jesus was actually willing to do and experience for us, that changes everything about what we do when we take communion. I want you to remember that by the time Jesus was crucified on the cross, he would have been up with no sleep and no rest for 36 hours. He wouldn't have been up moving, being beaten, carrying a cross for 36 hours straight before he was crucified on the cross. Something else that Jesus experienced for you and for me was a thing called hemothidrosis. Some of you are like, whoa, what is that? Hemothidrosis is when the capillaries in your pores burst 
due to pressure. So this is what happened. We see this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knows what he's about to experience. He knows, I'm about to endure the worst death anybody could ever experience. I know I'm about to have the sin of all of creation placed on me, on me. And he knows what he's about to walk into. And because of that, he's anxious. We've talked about anxiety just a couple weeks ago. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was so anxious that he began to sweat and his pores bursted. And so he began to sweat drops of blood. So that means by the time he was arrested, he would have been covered in a layer of sweat and blood. I think sometimes we forget these these details about Jesus. After that, Jesus experienced something called a scourging. And what this is, is this is where, if you can imagine with me, two really big, like football-sized looking dudes, Roman soldiers with whips. And each whip had nine lashes on it. And each lash, there was teeth and glass and things sewn into it so that he wouldn't just be whipped but that flesh would be taken off every single time he was whipped. And this was something that was illegal to do to a Roman citizen. That's how bad it was. I was doing some research on this. And just one single whip with this, it was called the cat of nine tails. One single whip would do enough damage to that. If you went to the hospital, if you went to the ER, you would need 180 stitches to get fixed with one whip. And guess what? Jesus took 39 of those. Like, I want you to like think about that for a second. Sometimes we just brush past this and we, we forget what Jesus did for us. Jesus took 39 of those for you. That's over 2,000 stitches on Jesus' back. His back opened up, torn apart for you and for me. And then not only that, he's mocked because they know he's the king of the Jews. So what do they do? They take a crown of thorns they wrap it around his head. They take a reed and they beat that crown of thorns into his head. And then there's the cross. I didn't even plan this, but there's a cross right here. Check this out. The cross that Jesus had to bear, it would have been made not with pretty wood. It would have been made with ripped up, shard, splintered pieces of wood. It would have been over 125 pounds. Jesus carried that cross on his open back through the streets The Roman soldiers, they had been crucifying people for a long time. They knew how to do this. They knew how to pierce your arms and your feet without hitting any arteries, which means you wouldn't bleed out instantly. That meant that you would suffer longer. You wouldn't just die when you were on the cross. You would sit there for hours and hours and hours. And every single time you had to breathe, you had to pull yourself up from those nails just to get a breath out. Every, time, every single time you wanted to say a word, you had to pull yourself up from that cross, your back scraping against the back of that cross. I know this is, this is real, and I know this is kind of gross and brutal, but I want you to see that this is what Jesus did for you and me. Like, this is what Jesus was willing to do. This is how much he loved you. He was willing to do all of that so that you and I could be in relationship with him And this is the price he was willing to pay. So when we take communion, check this out. This is the most expensive meal you could ever take. It's the most expensive meal. And check it out. It's already been paid in full. The price has already been paid. The second thing I want you to notice about communion as we close is that communion is a seat at the table with Jesus. 
Communion is a seat at the table with Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are in your walk with God, no matter how much you've messed up, it's an opportunity where you and I get to sit at the table with the disciple, like, like the disciples did with Jesus in proximity with our King. There's a story, and I'm gonna close with this, where there was these two disciples after Jesus died and they were walking, they were sad because they're sad because they thought Jesus was dead and then boom, Jesus shows up and he just starts walking with them, but they don't realize it's Jesus and something happens. Check this out, Luke 24, it says, as they approached the village, to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks. It's kind of like communion. He broke it and he gave it to them. Check out what happens in this act of communion. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized and he disappeared from their sight. New Song students, what I want you to see tonight is that communion is not just something that we do as Christians. It's not just this ritualistic thing that we gotta do once a month because that's what Christians do. I want you to see that, that communion is a meal. It's, where, it's a meal where you and I get to sit at the table with Jesus and we get to realize and remember what he did for us that we can be close to him and that we get to experience this meal that we could never purchase on our own. We can never sit at that table on our own, but we've been invited in and Jesus has paid the full price for us to eat this meal. And so tonight, we're not gonna do it right here, but in small groups tonight, we're gonna take time tonight to do communion together. And my hope and my prayer tonight is that you would have an encounter kind of like what these disciples experienced. It says that when the bread was broken and when, they, when Jesus gave thanks and gave it to them, their eyes were opened. And I wonder what Jesus wants to show you about himself tonight through communion. If you wanna bow your heads and close your eyes before we close, maybe you're here tonight and this has kind of been a shock for you. It's kind of been a wake up call for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been taking communion your entire life and you've never really thought of it as much. If that's you, that's okay. Guess what? Tonight is a brand new opportunity. We're gonna take communion and you can, you can do it in the way we're called to. You can remember that it is the ultimate price and that it's a seat at the table. And I'm excited for you to do that. But maybe you're here tonight and you've actually just never, you've never made the decision to even follow Jesus personally. You've been to church. Maybe your family goes to church. Maybe your family made you come here but you not, you've never actually chosen to, to receive that gift that Jesus gives us yourself. I wanna give you that opportunity tonight. Here at New Song, we're all about owning our faith and you can't, you can't have a faith from your, from your parents. You can't have a faith from me. You've gotta have your own walk with Jesus, your own walk with God. And so tonight I wanna give you that opportunity. If that's you, we're gonna say a prayer really quickly. And we're all gonna say it together as a New Song students family. But if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer and mean it in your heart. And I want you, as you're praying it, to just know this is, this is tonight. I'm making this decision to follow you, Jesus. So as a family, we're all gonna pray this together. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life, 
for going to the cross and rising again for me. I receive that gift. I choose to make you the Lord, the Savior, the friend of my life. I love you and I need you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, 